Believe it or not, I thought I was going to be president of the United States. Okay. Well, don't ask me why. My father started the business in 1951, so we're in our 72nd year. Uh, actually, we're the oldest privately held staffing company in America. Anybody will tell you in business is that if you think it's going to be an easy ride, forget it. You're going to run into situations like this, whether you like it or not. And the question is, if you get hit, do you stay down or do you get up? If you get up, you could get hit again. If you stay down, you don't get hit again. And for me, there was no question that I was going to get up. The struggles is what, what people don't understand are the important part of it. You need to struggle. You, you take struggle away, you can't be successful. You have to understand that, that with that struggle and when you come out on the other side, you know that you can face it again. You have to learn as you go. Uh, somebody once wrote on LinkedIn, uh, the idea of fake it till you make it is really a bad idea. And then the next time I saw LinkedIn, it was uh, Sir Richard Branson saying, fake it till you make it. That's how I did it. Right. So I think to a certain degree, we have to fake it till we make it. I'm Andy Golding, partner and chief strategy officer of Kripke Enterprises, and I am excited today for my seventh episode of Toledo Works. In my podcast, I speak with self-made business owners from Toledo, Ohio, to discover and uncover their stories of success, struggles, and achievements. This podcast is sponsored by Kripke Enterprises, a Kripke Recycling metal is not just good for the environment, it's good for business. This podcast is produced by Stewart Media Strategies. Today, I am thrilled to introduce Bruce Rumpf. Bruce is the president and CEO of Job One USA and Rumpf Development. Job One USA is a human resource five-star employment agency. They are a leading provider of contract staffing, direct hire services, and total employment solutions. In this episode, Bruce will discuss the importance of working with veterans, and he will share what I have already can tell his love of Toledo. Thanks, Bruce. Absolutely. Thanks for being here. Andy, thanks for having me. I really I appreciate, appreciate it. it. So, Bruce... When you were a child, a small child, did you think that you would be in the employment business? No. Uh, actually, believe it or not, I thought I was going to be president of the United States. Okay. Well, don't ask me why. I just, you know, and I am actively involved in politics, not running for office, but supporting candidates. So in a way, I've kind of accomplished part of that, that mission. But no, I really didn't. When did you, when did you um, decide to go into this business? Well, it, it was... Pretty ironic. Uh, my father started the business in 1951, so we're in our 72nd year. Uh, actually, we're the oldest privately held staffing company in America. And my dad and I had a complete understanding of me going into the business. He wasn't going to ask me, and I wasn't going in. We had a great understanding. When we raked leaves, I did the back and he did the front because he told me how to do it, and I tell him how to do it. Sure. So I was, after graduation from Ohio State, I was an ROTC, so I went into the U.S. Army military. I came back, uh, got a job almost immediately with Roadway. I was being trained as a sales rep. I was getting um, transferred to Battle Creek, Michigan. I didn't want to go. The guy who was going to own my dad's business called me and said, hey, can you fill in the extra men office? Because everything back then was gender. 
executive girls, Kelly girls, manpower, extra men. And so I had been a day labor running payroll during the summer. And uh, I said, sure, I had six weeks to relocate. Uh, that'll be 49 years in September. I fell in love with the business. I fell in love with people uh, and the trust that they gave me to understand what they could do and what they couldn't do. And that was that was kind of exciting to me. So what has been, so give us a little overview about what your business was maybe when you started and what it is today. Okay. Literally, when I used to tell people I was in temporary help, Andy, they used to say, I'm sorry to hear that. They didn't think I worked very much. And <laughs> there really, was, it was a day labor and the extra men and only men, of course. And you would wait, you'd get there at six in the morning and you'd start getting calls uh, and it could be manufacturing, it could be golf courses, just a variety of different things. Uh, and they would tell you how many people they would need. And then I always said that I kind of did Noah's Ark because we would have vans that we sent them out in. And I'd have two African-Americans, two Hispanic, two old, two young, and two Caucasians. So if they got in a fight, there'd be equal uh, ability to defend yourself. <laughs> and that's how you thought back then, believe it or not. Uh, so when I... When I accepted going in, they had fired the assistant manager for drinking too much. This was at your family's, this business. was your dad's yes. business. Okay. Uh, the first thing I discovered my first day is the manager drank more than the assistant manager. Okay. And he told all of these people not to drink when he himself was drunk, and it irritated me. And how old are you at this point? I am uh, 24. And is your dad in the building? Well, he's at Executive Girls. He's okay. in the ivory tower in one of the buildings downtown with all the women. Okay. I'm down in a godforsaken hole with okay. 120, you used to call them winos. I mean, they made me, so I'm very you know, proud of what they did. Uh, so we didn't mix together. And then, ironically, it wasn't exactly like a great start because the guy who called me was going to be the owner, and I understood that. Right. So he couldn't wait to be owner. And was he wor he was working in the business? Yes, he okay. was basically managing the business. He was your dad's right hand guy. Right hand guy. Okay. Yep. And he couldn't wait to be the owner. And so one day he convinced uh, Harry Shulak to finance him and Jerry Shulak, his son, uh, to open up a competing business. They stole all of our records and went into business and non competes and they went into business against us in 1978. So what was left of our company, my father, who was on his fourth wife, a bookkeeper who didn't like me, and myself. That was it. Everyone else went over with the new company. They went with a new company. And you're left there at 23, 24 years old, and your dad looks at you, and you look at him and say, what? Uh, holy cow. And I cleaned that up for the podcast. <laughs> okay. Uh, but... Anybody will tell you in business is that if you think it's going to be an easy ride, forget it. You're going to run into situations like this, whether you like it or not. And the question is, if you get hit, do you stay down or do you get up? If you get up, you could get hit again. If you stay down, you don't get hit again. And for me, there was no question that I was going to get up and I was going to fight these guys that did all that kind of stuff. And eventually they went bankrupt. Wow. And was your dad um, watching how you were going to handle it to see what type of person you were? Or Well, my dad was old school, so he, you know, he, the way he would give you a compliment, 
was he'd tell you something positive and taken away in the same sentence. So he'd say, Andy, you're doing a hell of a job, but don't let it go to your head. Right. You know, it couldn't trust me for seconds. That's called an open face shit sandwich. <laughs> is that what it is? <laughs> yeah. So he moves to Tucson, and this is like 81, and I go, he's trying to run the business from there. Right. So I said, I want to buy the business from him. And he said, well, you don't have any money. I said, well, don't confuse me with facts. I said, you ever heard of land contract? Tell me what you want for the business, finance it with an interest rate, and if I miss a payment, you get it back. So he called his really good friend, Bill Olson, who was the fourth largest staffing company in America, who never opened in Toledo because he didn't want to compete with my hmm. dad. And he said, sell it to him for what the sales are, not three, four, five times earnings. And it was a ridiculous to do that. However, I did the one thing that most people don't do. I went in and added up all of the things that my dad took out of the business. Ah. Small business people do a lot of creative things. Right. And I'm being kind. Sure. Okay. So I added up all of the interest-free loans back then. I added up all <laughs> this. And I was within $10 of the $4,000 a month. Okay. So I thought, I have nothing to lose. So it took me 13 and a half years to pay him off. Wow. So while you were paying him off, you're building the business. And in like a lot of sons... They say, I'm going to do it differently. I'm going to do this differently. And when I take over, I'm going to do this differently and that differently. Was that you? Well, for me, it was the ability to have control. Um, and once given control, I could decide what I could do or what I couldn't do. I remember hiring a salesperson who was making maybe three times what I was as the owner because I needed sales and I needed to have operations. Uh, so I just bit the bullet and it was good strategy to pay off. So when you're, after you bought the business and we, I, I'm jumping around a little bit, That's all right. not too much after you bought the business. Um, I, my question was how are things different from then to today? Well, I would say dramatically. Uh, and I've kind of used sports as my business models. And I always tell people the reason I do that is what's gonna happen in general society will first happen in sports, if you pay attention to sports. So for instance, Jesse Owens could win gold medals against Hitler, couldn't ride the front of the bus, couldn't drink from a white-only fountain. Last time I looked, we had an African-American president. It took a while. Uh, something happened in 1973 that changed every woman's life, and the only person that's ever gotten it is Christine Brennan, the premier journalist in sports for women. That's Title IX. Title IX says if you're uh, you're going to spend the same amount of money on your daughter's sports as your son, except for football. Well, so what? That is what changed. Today's world, I don't care who walks through the door, male or female. I want the best candidate. Women are dominating in the labor market. They were always secondary citizens, secondary class. Elon Musk makes a lot of money on SpaceX, and yet no one knows who runs it. Her name is Kate Shotwell, which I think is a hell of a name for a rocket company, right? Kate <laughs> Shotwell. Sure. Right? Twitter, which, you know, Elon Musk blew up. Who did he hire? He hired a woman. So big, big changes. So the next step is in sports, free agency, okay? And that's actually where our company is going to right now. Basically, the market determines your worth. But, Andy, if I was to say right now, what's your worth in Toledo or Phoenix or Atlanta? Or you'd say, well, I really don't know. I can go online maybe. No, you actually are going to have an HR agent. Thomas someday here is doing all this work, will have an HR agent that constantly brings them opportunities. And your employer is going to say, well, wait a minute, I trained you. You should have loyalty. No, 
Wrong. Never have loyalty. I'm an employer. Don't have loyalty unless you earn it. My understanding from what you told me, Andy, is the reason you're doing this is because you want to give something back to your customers other than paying them for the metal. The metal. So it's not uh, employers don't have loyalty. If if right now there was a machine that would get rid of four welders, they'd buy it in a heartbeat. Right. Way do robots come out? See where you stand with that situation. So free agency is going to mean is that you're worth more in the marketplace. And by the way, your employer has an opportunity to match it. I don't care if you're a teller at the bank who just got trained by one of the banks and I got a better job over another bank. That's just what's going to evolve as the next step. Hmm. And how has technology changed your business? Well, uh, I guess one of the things, uh, my, my um, middle son was my heir apparent and he decided to go back to the university for aeronautical and aerospace engineering, which is pretty amazing because he didn't finish college. Only one of my five kids that didn't uh, graduate from a high-end university. And uh, it turned out that uh, the math teacher would say, uh, Alex, here's my question. He'd answer it, and she says, I want to see your work. He goes, I'm not showing you. He was obstinate. So, so t today's world, and I, I said, what, what made you change that? He said, when I got that Tesla, it changed my life. Hmm. And the adoption of technology, and Andy, you and I have talked before, technology in our community, Northwest Ohio, is something not only don't they like, they resist. It's not an option. Technology is not an option. So for instance, ChatGPT, we're doing our marketing with ChatGPT. We're doing a lot of different things, sales with ChatGPT. Yeah, I, I don't think that, you know, I heard someone um, on uh, the internet and I think they said it very well and I think it's what you're saying. AI is here. Yes. It's not going anywhere. And the early adopters are going to be the ones that are more successful than those that adopt later. Yeah. And, you know, someone, uh, it, it's, I love it. I think it is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. And it's pertinent, you know, talking about the kinds of folks that come here, whether you're plumbers, electricians, sure. any of those kinds of things. Just to give you an idea of something I experienced that we're now doing an app because we have apps in our company. We try and give our people non-taxable things. So we have job one rewards. So we go into a company like Kripke Enterprises, say, how do you evaluate our success? And we build that into the model just for the people we send here. They get vacation days, they get health care. You can purchase just about anything that you want to. The next thing is we have job one rights. Anybody in the country, in the number of states we operate in, if they can't get to work, they go on the app and Uber picks them up and takes them to work and takes them home. That's unbelievable. EmployeeCash.com, the second biggest reason, the first reason people quit is no transportation. The second reason is the payday loan industry. See, when you can't pay your loan of 400 to 800%, you quit and you go to work at a competitor. Okay. Tell me, so tell me what you out. mean. I, I, I'm, tell me, make that a payday little simpler. Loan. Tell me how, what you mean by payday loan with your app. I, I think okay, this is so important. I'm not all following. All of our people, employeecash.com, yeah. do never go to a payday loan. We charge a fee because okay. we're not a bank, right. a nominal fee, but they don't quit because they can't pay back that loan. You're saying you get a loan from the business? Job USA. No, you get it from us. But why are people quit? I don't follow why are people you, would quit. If I go to the payday loan, yes. and I'm working here at Kripke Enterprises, uh, okay. and I can't pay it, they're going to start calling your HR department. Got it. And attaching the payroll. Okay. So they quit. Okay. They don't tell you why they quit. Right. But that's one of the reasons they do. Hmm. So what we've tried to do is we've tried to design apps 
that will give non-taxable benefits to our employees. I have to deal with market conditions and, you know, what a welder gets paid or, you know, what a security right. officer gets paid. Sure. That's unbelievable. And, and so from the time that you started it until today, has it worked? Yes, but the, no matter what works, you can't overcome the one issue in our country. We've been out of labor. We're going to continue to be out of labor. And you can't automate fast enough right. to do that. And by the way, I seriously doubt where there are a lot of things like landscaping, hotel, motel industry. I doubt whether you're going to be able to automate all those kinds of things. And that really, when you look at the bulk of the businesses, those are the employees. And so it's, it's a marketplace, worst marketplace I've ever had to compete in, in my life. And it's going to continue until both sides of the house says, hey, what about legal immigration? Hey, there's a concept, legal right. immigration. What kind of workers do we need here? Sure. So, you know, you talk about the job market, and there are, my, my best example is I go to restaurants. I went to a restaurant a couple of weeks ago. Mm -hmm. They came to the table and said, no one, we're backed up in the kitchen because Jimmy didn't show up today. Right. And the service is terrible. The meal takes too long. And, you, you know, uh, then you, so I have a philosophy, and you tell me, okay. you know, my philosophy is in this labor market, you don't need to work for a jerk anymore. You can find other ways to make money other than working a, a lower paid job for a jerk. Am I right or wrong? Well, I, I think there, an element is absolutely right, but I think you have to get in the mind of not you, but rather the worker. This is what the worker thought in your condition. The worst that can happen is I get fired. Okay. That might be the best. I leave, I go to work for another restaurant because they need somebody. I might even get paid more. So as long as there's jobs, right? there's no fear of doing that. And I was just talking earlier about Bloomberg. U.S. labor productivity is in a steady decline and has been. And productivity moves in the opposite direction of wages. <laughs> so if it remains depressed, there'll be an upward pressure on labor costs and ultimately on inflation. So today, you may be paying your workers $18 an hour, and then down the street, the fast food says 20 And all of a sudden, they've got an option. And right. they may not want to work here for 18 when they can work there for 20 So the lack of labor is going to continue to put businesses in a terrible situation. And by the way, the generation coming up doesn't get married early, doesn't have kids early, and have one, or we know a number of couples have decided to have zero. This is the next generation who is predicting that be the first generation not to do as well as the prior generations. And I can go into all those kinds of things, but I also want to say there's some optimistic things that are happening in the Toledo marketplace. So if you want to talk yeah, about Yeah, I mean, I would Toledo. love to. Well, before we get to the optimism, okay. I would, you know, <laughs> one of the things that, that we always, um, you know, you see a successful person and you and you it's hard to feel like they went through struggles. Now I I I understand that you went through a struggle when the business started. What was another struggle that you went through that, you know, maybe changed the way that you view um, how you run the business or you tell me? Opportunities. Opportunities come to you. Um, there was an episode on Seinfeld called Mr. Even Steven. And what it was was, and I kind of feel like this is my life, maybe you can identify with this, Andy, is that if something bad happened, 
something good was going to happen. The $20 bill. Right? And if something good happened, something bad. So right. he's in the restaurant with his girlfriend. She goes, Jerry, I don't know quite how to tell you this. And he goes, you're breaking up with me? <laughs> right, sure. All right. Right, right. Yeah, so he's going to get a new one. So uh, the struggles is what, what people don't understand or the important part of it. You need to struggle. You, you take struggle away, you can't be successful. You have to understand that, that with that struggle and when you come out on the other side, you know that you can face it again. Like right now I'm saying that our company is because of the labor situation is in a horrible, situ horrible situation. However, I know I've been there before and I can do it again. So I think sometimes people will tell you that they've struggled, but what you really have to understand is the struggles are important. They make the fiber of who you are. What, what, um, what about when you're balancing the needs of the employer against the needs of the employee? So you have the apps for the employee, you, you have the tax, um, how did you say it? You said the, the employeecash.com, we have job right. one rides, job one rewards. What do you do for the employers? What I do to them is I come to you at Kripke Enterprises and say, you want good productive employees. Right. So tell me what that means. And we'll build it into the model. Showing up on time important? Hmm. Okay. No injuries? Is that important to you? Right. Productivity measurements? If you have some kind of productivity measurements? All the employer ever cares about. They don't care about their ideas, typically. They don't care about their thoughts. What they care about is that they've got a job to do, and they're dependent on other people doing these jobs so that their job gets done. Right. And so... If you really live, breathe, and eat the employee, you can satisfy the employer. But if all I did was live, breathe, and eat the employer, I wouldn't have any employees because employers' demands sometimes are not realistic. They don't understand the market or they're mad at the market and those kinds of things that come up. So what we do is live, breathe, and eat the employees, and hopefully mm -hmm. those people want to continue to work for us even if we're competitive in wages, but we have some of these other options that are built in. So you said you're in 28 states? Yeah. So when did you go to your next state, and how did you have the confidence, or what took you to the next state? How did you know it was time? Well, let me kind of revert back to those people that left. Sure. Uh, we literally, because they were just down the street, we would screw with each other. And I'm not talking just mild stuff. I mean, I would pay, like Carl Walcott, who is uh, – he was out for manslaughter. I mean, he was fine at this point. But I'd have him go over and say, uh, Bruce is going to pay me 20 bucks to break your arm. You know, those <laughs> kinds of things. So it was a little vicious at the time. So one day, that company got a call from Ed Schroeder, Schroeder Homes, needing security. So they said, we don't do it, but the Rumpf company does it. So the receptionist calls me and says, hey, I've got Mr. Schroeder who needs security. What do I do? I said, I'll take it. Yes, Mr. Schroeder, I've got an apartment complex. I'm going to need 168 hours of security during construction. And I said, yes, sir. I said, I'll mark it down. I said, the director of security is out right now. I'll get back to you this afternoon. So I called all of the security companies because we didn't do security. Right. I got some pricing. I called Ed back as now the director of security. Sure. I lowered the lowest rate by a quarter. I got the contract. Now, keep in mind, I was guaranteed 168 hours. My temporary business, I never knew from day to day. So I went over superior uniform. I did generic badges and all those kinds of things. And I was in the security business. 
about a year later, I discovered you actually have to get licensed to do this. I had, had no idea about Ignorance that. Ignorance is bliss. Yeah, exactly. Right? So uh, that's an opportunity that sometimes comes up, even though it was a real negative to what they did. They paid the price and they gave me an opportunity and security is our largest growing business from the staffing business. That got very, very competitive. So I really did Finley. And the reason why is that it was close and I had to figure out, was I different? Was I any better or was I just an also ran? And so if I went to Finley where no one knew it, us, would that do that? And then I made a, a, a decision rather than to be all things to all people, I was going to be specifically for multi-location companies. Mm. So UPS. Mm -hmm. So I approached UPS. I said, we're in the security business. They gave me Toledo. We did a good job. I said, I'll take any marketplace you want that you're having problems. So they gave me Detroit. So we opened to Detroit. Then Little Rock, Arkansas. I had to learn to adapt my model to be on the ground and open in basically two and a half weeks with having no presence, right. licensing, all those kinds of things. But at that point, I had a ready-made customer. And right now, I'm turning down business for UPS because the pricing just is not good enough at this stage. So, wow. But that was my first foray was just to get out of my own comfort level in Toledo, Ohio, where a lot of people knew my father. I'm sure your circumstance is kind of similar, sure, Andy. Uh, so Finley was the first one, and then I grew these multiple locations by really live, breathing, eating one client, not 100. And how many family members do you currently have in the business? Five. I hired all five of your all family. five of my kids. I hired right out of college. Okay. And the reason and people have admonished me for that, <laughs> uh, my advisors said, let them go work elsewhere. And I told them all the same thing. I can underpay them and underappreciate them, my own company. They don't need to go elsewhere to go through this. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. And so with that, all five, they would never have come back to Toledo. Right. And so all five came back to Toledo. But eventually now Alex is in our Phoenix operation, Tori's in our Nashville operation, but I still have three here. And what roles do they play and how do you all get along? They get along great. Uh, I was fortunate that I watched uh, some family businesses uh, disintegrate, especially when it got to the third generation, which what is what we're in. And so what I discovered was is that uh, if you have them overlap each other, versus being a piece of the puzzle, that's where things can happen. So tell me, tell each me what one's you mean. in different disciplines. Yeah. Uh, one's in marketing, okay? Yeah. One's in the accounting section. Okay. So one's in sales, one's in operations. So every one of the pieces is important and no one's more important than each one of those pieces. Now, I am, uh, my youngest son, Sam, is the one who's taking over. My oldest son runs our real estate and parking lots uh, operations. So what is Rump Development? Rump Development, I hate rent. <laughs> okay. I just hate rent. Okay. And so we had always paid rent in our company, and so I decided that um, I was going to do a building in downtown Toledo, and I discovered that if you do even a small project, but you do it first class, you'll get recognition. doesn't have to be a skyscraper. Right. This was only, you know, three stories high, and it was right in downtown Toledo. Uh, I'm sure I mortgaged myself to the hilt, but risk-taking is all part of it. Calculated risk, but still risk-taking. You can't eliminate risk 
if you want to eliminate risk, then you're probably not going to be an entrepreneur. Okay. Just can't do it. What's in your portfolio of well, the biggest thing is parking lots. And again, I'd like to say I had a master plan, Andy, to get <laughs> into parking, but I didn't. <laughs> How'd you do it? Well, I bought a building online, the old Columbia Gas Building, which is not old. It's all glass. It was only the second glass building in Toledo after LOF, same architectural firm. As a kid, I saw it, and I marveled at it. <laughs> Keep in mind, till the 60s, there were no glass buildings. So um, it was for sale. I looked it up. It was uh, at the University of Wisconsin Medical School, owned it, because doctors actually built the building for Columbia Gas. So I called them and I said, listen, this building in downtown Toledo, 72 hours, this is my offer, I'll take it off the table in 72 hours, and uh, you'll be stuck with it the rest of your life, because there's no business in downtown Toledo. Right. And there wasn't, by the way. So I got it, I didn't use a realtor, I got an unbelievable price. Well. I decided that the only thing the suburbs had over downtown was free parking. However, is there such a thing as free parking at the mall? Is that free parking? I, I feel like it's free. I don't pay anybody anything, do I? Or you pay it in the price of what you're uh, buying? Bingo. Okay. They bought the property. They blacktopped it. They light it. They snowplow it. They have security. They have landscaping. They have property taxes. But when you go buy that shirt, it's built in as a right. cost. So sure. I thought I'd do the same thing. So I started buying parking lots around the building so that I would have free parking and then I'd raise the rents right. accordingly. Uh, that worked only in theory. The reality of it was rent is rent, but I was able to attract tenants because of the free parking. To this day, I still get tenants because of my free parking. And what happened was <laughs> uh, I kind of fought some battles, Fifth Third Field, the Huntington Center, and uh, you didn't want those downtown yeah oh okay yeah. what was the battle the battle was everybody wanted huntington center to be where the old sports arena was right and i took a lot of bad editorials in the blade i had one of the councilmen uh from the east side mccluskey who I, I think went to jail for something he and and his uh andy's uh, radio show called me i mean bad names uh, names you're not supposed to say on, on the air and, here you can and, say them and go so ahead. uh what I discovered was is that a feasibility study, keep in mind, Frank Cass, $105 million of nationwide insurance, we're going to build on the sports arena site. I signed something in Cardi's office as a community leader endorsing it. It went from 100% privately financed to 100% publicly financed, and I thought they should do a feasibility study, knowing full well that it would show that it belongs in downtown. Nothing develops around 37 acres of asphalt. Whether it's the Silver Dome, whether it's the Palace, right. you put it in the center of town. And right. so I fought that battle. And because of that, I was kind of rewarded with the front doors near my parking lots. <laughs> uh, but now technology. You know, I don't have attendance, but I have technology all over the place. So everything's a QR code. You go online, you pay, and you don't pay cash. I mean, you have a choice. You can pay $5 cash or $11 on your credit card, and people would prefer $11 on their credit card. Sure. So the parking lot thing has developed. It's also allowed us to develop other buildings, and we've developed some and sold some. Wow. That's, you, your, uh, your career is absolutely fascinating. So you, you uh, gave me some advance notice on a couple things about you that I'd like to, I'm interested in. Okay. What is the Global Supply Chain Initiative at the University of Toledo? I... Uh, I got asked by somebody to come to a meeting on, 
on this at the university. And what does an HR guy know about global supply chain? Nothing, okay? What I do know is global supply chain has become very sexy. Everything you see here in, in your facility right. had to get here, right. including the clothes on your back. Sure. So we, uh, it's uh, Paul Hung, a distinguished professor, is, is spearheading it. And they went around the room asking everybody why they're here. And everybody said, I love the University of Toledo, and they're all doing great. Came to me, and I said, well, I love the university. I think they're failing at everything, hmm. everything, not just enrollment. Uh, engineering is not what it used to be. Uh, law is in a third tier, I think, now at this point. Pharmacy is, these used to be stellar programs. People from the East Coast, if they couldn't get in Ivy League schools, would come here for these right. programs. So I said, I think it's failing, and if I can do anything to help it, I'm willing to help because I'd hate to see you continually go down. Uh, I think the uh, student enrollment, 79% are financial aid, highest in the MAC. No kids coming up. You know, if UT and Bowling Green don't get together and understand they need to become one university, North Campus, South Campus, and join the Big Ten. That's the only answer that you're going to have. So anyway, so I got in, involved in this. And because of the years of participating, and I would tell your audience as an entrepreneur, not only do you have an obligation to get involved in the community, there's a huge payback. You get to meet people that you ordinarily would not meet. And those people can be your mentors. Everyone kind of looks for a mentor, you know, take me under your wing. Um, and I've never really had anyone take me under my wing, but I've watched successful people and how they work, what they stand for, you know, whether it's ethics or any of those kinds of things. And it's been a big help. Uh, and so I've always been involved with the community and a lot of different uh, committees, and that has paid uh, big dividends for it. So. I'm able to pull together people in the community that can help this global supply chain to become number one expert in global supply chain. And it just happens to come at a point where we have one of the greatest opportunities Northwest Ohio and Toledo is ever going to have. And you know no one knows what it is. I was with the Attorney General Dave Yost um, and uh, head of the chamber, Ohio Chamber, came to visit me and I asked them both. I said, what do you think of the Gordie Howell International Bridge? And they go, what's that? I go, what's that? Okay, let me see. Our largest trading partner is Canada. Last time I looked, a very safe government from the last time I looked. And I said, the opportunity for commerce to double and tourism to double is amazing. This is a technology play, okay? This bridge, they're going to be able to fly through there. None of this Ambassador's Bridge crap. And I, right. no one even knows the history of the Ambassador's Bridge. Do you have any idea what the... I, I know it's, it has been privately held, and it's... The only privately held bridge in, right. uh, between two countries. It was actually built by the McNichols family from Toledo. They sold it to some guy who's an investor. I think it was Warren Buffett. And uh, he nice. sold it in 1986 to Matty Mulroon, a Lebanese immigrant. Nothing wrong with that. Yellow trucks. I mean, or, let's see, they're the yellow trucks... I'll think of the name of it. The former owner was Jimmy Hoffa, and he paid all the legislature in Michigan to block the bridge. So Canada finally says, we'll spend the $4.5 billion. You spend $250 million for your station, we'll send $250 on ours. He blocked that. Canada's paying the whole $5 billion. They can name it anything they want. And the fact is, the Gordie Howard International Bridge is going to be a tremendous opportunity opening up in 2025. 
Keep in mind, supply chain. If, we, if you don't have labor here, but you maybe have labor up in Canada, that's gonna make a huge difference. So how do we take advantage of that? Self-driving trucks are around, around the corner, but how do you get them to stop in our community, okay? Uh, they'll probably be drivers for at least another 10 or 15 years, even though it's self-driving, but the stress level will be so low on these, these folks. So anyways, it's a great opportunity. And so I'm bringing together different people, the community that bring different components. I just had a meeting uh, with the group with Paul Toth. Now Paul is one of the greatest leaders this community has ever had. Uh, four decades between the Port Authority and Connect Toledo. Amazing leader. And uh, they're working on the Innovation Hub. There's gonna be 20 cities selected for $25 million grant hmm. for an Innovation Hub. Toledo is the leading city in Ohio right now to grab that. So innovation, Gordie Howell International Bridge, how do we take advantage of it? That's the key. Do we have the leadership to take advantage of it? Andy, I would tell you right now is that we have a void of leadership in our community, and that's no knock against anybody. But I remember when I started my career, the banks downtown, I think, occupied 1.6 million square feet. Today, they don't do 200,000. The uh, Columbia Gas, big driver, they don't even have 5,000. I mean, the utilities, I think, had 1.2 million, Ohio Bell, Columbia Gas. The utilities used to occupy and be economic drivers. They're all gone. The big banks were economic drivers. We don't have the big banks here. They're all located in a different community, and they don't care like for Toledo. So where is the leadership going to come? It's, it's really the wealthy people, the third generation, sold all of their businesses like Champion Spark Plug and Water Ranch in Wyoming and Montana. Okay, so you don't have the wealthy people. You don't have the Fortune 500 companies that you used to. So where is the leadership going to come to? What I would say, it's an opportunity for all of us in Northwest Ohio that if you ever wanted to make a difference, I mean, someday your career is over. You got to ask yourself, did it matter? Did, it, did anything I do actually matter? And that's where that community involvement, I think, comes in. But I think there's an opportunity for a lot of folks that are listening to your podcast. So you started by saying that you wanted to be the president as a kid. Oh, yeah. Are you, and you also said that you've been in the background of politics. What's yes. kept you out of politics? Uh, well, I have a beautiful wife who says I have absolutely no interest in you <laughs> being a politician. And out of respect for that. Uh, but it was, it was that what got me going in politics was um, I had, I was president of Toledo Area Small Business and the TASBA and the Chamber were two separate organizations, both claiming to represent small business. So Mike Porter was president of the Chamber. They had tried, and they couldn't put the two organizations together. Between Mike and I, we were able to do it. But my first day at TASBA, the president came up to me and says, hey, we've got a lobbying group in D.C. We'd like you to be our representative. And I'm thinking, wow, he really recognizes talent. I just got here. <laughs> Little did I know, five people had already turned it down because you had to go on your nickel, mm. and I didn't have the money, but I went. One of our first meetings we had, we went into Lowell Weichert, senator from Connecticut, three-term governor of Connecticut, Republican, and uh, he stopped the meeting after making a number of demands, what we wanted, and he said, Do you, anybody here know how democracy works? <laughs> and we're looking at each other like, what's this all about? He says, let me explain it. He who participates gets. Right. He who doesn't participate doesn't get. You're here for the first time to make, making demands, participate, come back, 
I'll talk to you. I totally agree with that. And that got me going to understand. Sure. You know, we can all complain about our politicians, but we elect them. Right. Okay. My guess is if I had a time machine, Andy, and I could take us back to Jefferson and Aaron Burr and Alexander Hamilton and that, they all hate each other. John Adams, they all fought. <laughs> you idiot. I mean, it would be amazing just to be in, in that Sure, setting. of course. So I don't think it's anything new. Everyone has a different idea of what they think is right and wrong. So, but that got me involved in politics, but I'm a registered Democrat who supports 50% probably Republicans and 50% Democrats. I go by the character of the individual. I don't care what their position is on abortion. It's none of my business. And it's none of their business what my position is on it. But the common denominator between us, growing Ohio, jobs, better jobs, people having a chance to, to raise themselves, right. to be able to afford a car, he can't even afford a car in today's world. But electric cars will come to the answer. Yeah, you think so? Well, like I said, my son, year-to-date maintenance cost, after eight years, $122. Hmm. No, never needs brakes, no transmission, no oil changes, no tune-ups, nothing. And by the way, the, the technology constantly changes, and it updates it. It's just like your, your iPhone or your smartphone. So if you could go back, speaking of going back in time, if you could go back in time to the um, 25 year, now let's go back 30 years. Okay. What would you tell Bruce at that time about being an entrepreneur well, with the knowledge you have today? Uh, what I'd say is that you probably couldn't have done it different. You have to learn as you go. Uh Somebody once wrote on LinkedIn, uh, the idea of fake it till you make it is really a bad idea. And then the next time I saw LinkedIn, it was uh, Sir Richard Branson saying, fake it till you make it. That's how I did it. Right. <laughs> so I think to a certain degree, we have to fake it till we make it. This global supply chain, I didn't know anything about it. But what I did know was that it's now sexy. People are now paying attention to global supply chain where they sure. never worried well, about Well, when there's no toilet paper or, you know, yeah. meat or peanuts, uh, you know, Ex on the shelves. Exactly. So I would just say that sometimes you just have to go through it. Um, and if there's anything I could change, you, I'd sit there and say, well, I wish my dad had given me the business. No. I mean, I would have loved it. Those 13 and a half years of every month making a payment, I still remember the dollar amount. It's been a hell of a long time, and he's been gone a hell of a long time. I still remember the dollar amount because it, it, it stretched you. But again, those struggles are key to your own personal life and professional life. Understand is that no one can control everything. Right. So it's how you deal with the issues that are going to come up. And I know health issues, knock on wood, I've been, I've, I've been very healthy. I you know, thank God for that because if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. You don't have anything. Right. So what's the future? What is, uh, what's your future? What's the future of the company and of Rump Development? Uh, the future of the company is that I'm going to do things the opposite of my father. So I'm giving the business to the kids. First of all, I was the only one. They didn't need to split it five ways. Right. So, but I'm determined to give them a leg up because I, I really believe that it's going to get tougher and tougher. If you look at what's happening in the business community, the amount of consolidation, it's horrific. It's absolutely We feel it all horrific. the time. We feel it, sure. I'll bet you do. Yeah, consolidation and is we're difficult. we're all feeling this. And, of course, when they do that, they can buy the same thing for a lot less right. or pay people more or whatever those sure. dynamics are. 
And so I really think that the next generation of politicians have to take a page from Ronald Reagan and remind us that we're America. We're an unbelievable country. And there's opportunity, but not opportunity without struggle. And you can complain, but you could be in Ukraine right now. Right. I venture to say no American would want to be in Ukraine right now. So the fact is we're helping those people. I couldn't give them enough. As a U.S. Army veteran, I mean, I, I, you almost want to go over there to a certain degree and unload a truck. You know, right. I wouldn't be any good in battle but because uh, I probably couldn't use the technology. That's the other thing our area has to do. The future has to be on a recognition that technology makes your life better. Okay? I mentioned those apps. I'll go into a coffee shop, and I'll, the person I'm with, I'll say, pick out 10 uh, millennials. And I'll bet I have more apps on my phone than those 10 put together. <laughs> and I always win. And then the millennial will say, well, you can't possibly use all those apps. And I go, no, I have some apps I hope never to use. They go, why would you put an app that you would never use? It's called Finding Rover, facial recognition for dogs. We have dogs in our family. They're very important to us. You take a picture. If anything comes lost, gets stolen, somebody walk in the park, uh, dog pounds, uh, the veterinarians are all alerted to it. They call you and say, they don't say, is this your dog? It is your dog. I hope to never use that app. You know, I could, I could pay people's car insurance if they'd just do one app. One app, okay? If you do this one app, I guarantee you'll pay your car insurance next year. Go ahead. Speedway. Okay. Okay, why Speedway? Well, people say, I go to Kroger. Well, you got to spend a lot of money to get 30 cents off, right? Uh, I go to Costco. Oh, yeah, Costco is always the lowest. But right now, if they throw the switch to $3.99 at Costco and Kroger's, even with your discount, what I've got is Speedway tells you when to buy. <laughs> On my app, it turns red. So right now, today, I can buy it up till midnight for $3.39, not $3.99. $0.60 a gallon, 25-gallon fill-up is, what, $12. i got to make 18 to get to 12 and you get points on top of it. And so if everybody, but that really it's, I know, how do you get people to save money? How do you get people to get ahead? Everybody in our company, if there's Speedway stations, are required during the application to download the Speedway app. Because if you can just save money, start low. Right. You can't always start saving yeah, yeah. at the top. Sure. But if this pays your car insurance and then you do something else, and it's a mindset too of, you know, and, you know, my old friend Ben Franklin said, I think a penny saved is a penny earned. Sure. I think it's still true. Well, I appreciate it. Bruce, this is great. You are a great guest. You are a, a, a wealth of knowledge. I love the apps and everything that you're doing for your uh, for your employees and for the employers. I mean, it's uh, you have a great business, and I appreciate the time. Andy, thank you. This is and fantastic. What, I, what I'd also say is that, Andy, uh, I really, people like you that have a family tradition, and a great family tradition, in my opinion. Uh, we need you. This is a point where we need everybody. The small business, the it's our opportunity. Sure. We always complain we never get an opportunity. Lack of leadership gives us opportunity. And if we make the right decisions, everybody will benefit in our community. Great. Thank you. I Thank appreciate you. it. This is wonderful.